Good to be with you. Some of you were in the Sunday School Hour and heard me talk a little bit about campus ministries. But what I'd like to do right now, before we get into the message, I've got a PowerPoint about campus light and about campus ministries and what we do. Again, by way of review, if you weren't here in the Sunday School Hour, we do work with campus light ministries at both WVU and Fairmont State. I've actually worked with campus light a total of 14 years, but for the first 12 years we were in Huntington and we worked at Marshall and West Virginia State. And then two years ago, the Lord moved us back to this area. My mic is not on, so let me uh, make sure. The red button's on. What else? Are you okay? Okay. Um, so two years ago, we moved back here. I actually graduated from WVU years ago and was involved as a student in Campus Light myself. And uh, actually, that's how I for sure came to know the Lord. I claimed to be a Christian, but I'm not at all sure I really was saved until I got involved with Campus Light. And so I was a product of that ministry. And the Lord has been using me ever since I finished seminary in campus ministries in different locations. So, like I said, we're back at WVU in Fairmont. And what I'd like to do is show you the PowerPoint. Some of these slides are newer, and they're from the last couple years and there's a few slides still from the old ministry at Marshall so it's a little bit of both but nonetheless I think you'll get a flavor of what we do and so I'd like to go ahead and I'm going to step over here and I think everyone can see okay but you already know the answer to this question but pretend you don't know me could you name a mission field where individuals could be evangelized from all over our country where you can find hundreds of people from nations all over the globe where tomorrow's leaders can be reached today and it's typically located within driving distance of a fundamental church there's actually over 4,000 such mission fields in our nation with over 15 million individuals on those mission fields, including about 600,000 from countries that we can't even, in some cases, get into as traditional missionaries. From all over the 1040 window, China and India and the Islamic countries and places such as that. And could you name that mission field? And of course, we're talking about our nation's colleges and universities. Now, we happen to work at WVU, nearly 30,000 students. Fairmont State, if you include Pierpont, the technical school, has about 7,000. So, again, both are very needy mission fields, and they're right here in our backyard. This is a little bit of review from Sunday School, if you were here, but just some fascinating history. 88 of the first 100 colleges in the colonies were organized initially to train ministers to preach the gospel. That includes all but one of the Ivy League schools, the first being Harvard in 1636. Now, this is a drawing of Harvard. John Harvard himself said this, let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main ends of this life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. This is Princeton. John Witherspoon, an early president, said, Cursed be all learning that is contrary to the cross of Christ. Cursed be all learning that is not coincident with the cross of Christ. And cursed be all learning that is not subservient to the cross of Christ. Now, I promise you that's not their philosophy today, but at one time it was. Third bullet down, these universities that once trained ministers have now become needy mission fields. They drifted far from their original moorings. And you have Christian students over time beginning to meet publicly, sometimes, sometimes secretly in clubs and societies, becoming a precursor to the modern campus ministry movement. That brings me to Campus Light Ministries today. Our logo is a lighthouse, and it represents what we want to be, and that is a light in the midst of a lot of darkness on our college campuses. Here's a picture of my family. My children, by the way, are with my parents. Uh, we took them down yesterday. They live in Charleston, and they're spending a week with Nanny and Papa. All right, so we have a week to ourselves, and the ch kids are having a great time. You can pray for my parents, though. But nonetheless, <laughs> Caleb is now 10, Susanna is 8, and Sarah is 5. And there's a picture of our family. 
Uh, current ministry locations, the first five schools are actually in West Virginia, as you know. We started at WVU in the early 80s. Uh, we've since spread to other schools in the state. Virginia Commonwealth is in Richmond, Virginia. I've got to take a sidetrack just for a second. That's a prayer request. That, that ministry actually was kicked off the campus at Virginia Commonwealth. And the reason for that, a lot of schools are now requiring student organizations to sign statements or put in your constitution that you will not discriminate over any number of reasons for both membership and leadership. And one of the things on those lists is sexual orientation. Now, our philosophy is anyone and everyone is welcome to come. I don't care what your orientation, your religious background, we would love for you to come to Campus Light, but certainly we're not going to have, let's say, a Buddhist, a Muslim, or a practicing homosexual be a leader in our student organization. And for that reason, they were kicked off the campus. Now, that is a prayer request not only for that ministry, but a lot of schools all over the country are starting to require that. We actually violate policies at WVU and Marshall to this day over that, but they're not enforcing it at this point. So that's a huge prayer request. Just pray that God would continue. Like I say, we want to love everyone, and we want everyone to come. It's just that in our leadership, we need people that agree with our, our doctrine. I mean, it's just hopefully like it would be in this church. And so please pray that uh, the Lord would give us the ability to continue to minister. Uh, WVU, a lot of you have probably been there for a game. You've probably seen the campus. We've been circle here in the center of the campus. We actually meet in this building, the Mountain Lair, for our Bible studies on Friday night, our meetings. Some of the dormitories. This is a dormitory I stayed at, Borman Hall, at my freshman year, 1984. And it was during this time that I came to know the Lord for sure, uh, even though I grew up in a Bible-believing church. Uh, Fairmont State University, I know you've all been there. Uh, you probably know all about Fairmont State, but again, uh, some of the pictures from the campus. But why Campus Light? There are a lot of other ministries already on the college campuses. All right, WVU, again, probably has close to 30. Fairmont State probably has 10. Uh, w why need for another uh, ministry? And again, this is a review if you were in Sunday school, but one of the distinctives is an emphasis on the local church. Many campus ministries place little to no emphasis there, and we always want to focus on a local church. You know, if, if in Morgantown we encourage students to come with us to Faith Baptist, if they aren't already in a good church, and certainly in Fairmont there's several churches we can recommend, but we want to emphasize local church. Uh, another distinctive would be an emphasis on all the Great Commission, not just one third. I actually did some study a while back with some of the discipleship materials of other campus ministries, and I was amazed at the lack of emphasis on baptism. It's not that they had the mode wrong, they didn't even talk about it. So we want to emphasize baptism, we want to emphasize further discipleship, and do all of that. Another distinctive would be an emphasis on doctrine. Most of the well-known campus ministries that you may have heard of are literally hodgepodges nationally. It can be Catholics, Protestants, liberals, conservatives, charismatics, just whoever, just blended in together. And so we want to emphasize doctrine. And we also want to emphasize biblical separation from the world. All right, The idea of being set apart and being unique and distinct. And we make no apologies for that. Here are our goals on the campus. We want to reflect Christ properly by reaching unsafe students for Christ. Here's one example. This is Eric uh, from our WVU group. He just graduated. But two years ago, someone found him on the internet, gave us his name. And we met with him and he came to Christ shortly thereafter. 
And so that's a blessing whenever you see that. These are two of our former Marshall students, Mike and Barry. Both of those guys came to Christ. The guy on your right, Mike, I literally met with him for, I'd say, probably three years in individual Bible studies before he finally came to Christ. I mentioned him this morning. He was the fraternity president at the time. This was the fraternity house. And we actually had a Bible study in that house for one semester. And Barry, the guy on the left, was one of the guys coming. I think that's how I met Barry. And eventually, through Mike's testimony, Barry came to Christ. Uh, both of these guys have spent significant time on the foreign mission field. Mike in the Dominican Republic. Barry has been to China, I think, three different times. Has learned some Chinese. Has a real burden for Chinese people. And so, again, you can reach people here, and that can impact the world. Uh, another goal would be to see student converts baptized and further discipled. This is Ping Lu and his family. He was one of our former Marshall students. I started a Bible study with Ping, and we literally started in Genesis 1-1. And the reason for that is he knew absolutely nothing about the Bible, and we needed to lay a foundation. So we started there, and before he had graduated, he made a profession of faith. And this is Ping being baptized in our former church in Huntington uh, before he left Marshall. Another goal would be the edification and encouragement of Christian students. We don't recruit for you know, the, the schools we're on, but we realize that some students in or out of the will of God, Christian students will make their way to WVU, to Fairmont, etc. So we want to encourage them all right, and be a blessing to them however we, however we can. And finally, we want to encourage local church involvement of all of our students. This was uh, one of our officers that graduated last year, Josh, in our church there in Morgantown. Uh, so here's some challenges on the college campuses today. One is the competing religions that are there, and also the philosophy of postmodernism, which basically teaches the students that everything's relative, there is no ultimate truth, just believe what you want to believe, you'll be fine, and that's hard to fight against that sometimes. Here's an example of the Marshall uh, Catholic Newman Center. Uh, WVU has one of these as well. Uh, the culture on our college campuses. Now this particular building is not in West Virginia. It's in another state. But nonetheless, the Mormons will often have buildings near the campus. I've seen Mormon missionaries frequently in the Marshall Student Center setting up a table. So the culture there. College lifestyle, you probably know all about that. I'm talking about the drugs, the alcohol, the immorality, the fraternities, the sororities, etc. Here is an office that's in the basement of Marshall Student Center. If you cannot read the door, it says Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Outreach. They have an office dedicated just to that. So that kind of shows you what we're up against. Um, that was supposed to talk about our meetings, I think. But again, this is where we meet at WVU, and this is our typical meeting. We actually meet on Friday nights all right, um, on the campus there at WVU. And this would be a, a typical meeting where we, we typically have a Bible study, sing some songs, have some prayer time at the end, and then we usually have a fellowship activity afterwards. Um, here's after one of the meetings at one of our, our uh, meetings last year. This is Fairmont State. We actually meet in a classroom uh, on Thursday afternoons, 12.30 to 1.30. There's no classes from 12.30 to 1.30 on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so we actually have pizza first. That always helps all right, to provide pizza. All right, and that way you don't have to choose between Campus Light and lunch. So you can come to Campus Light. And again, we have a Bible study there. And here's some of the students from... Uh, last couple years. I don't think you're in that, Karen, but uh, this was from two years ago as well after one of the meetings. So that's our first. I did something that messed that up. So all these are going to be like that. I know what I did now, but I'll fix that before. Don't worry about that. This is our, we also do some small group Bible studies. Uh, this is an example. This is Jung from Vietnam, one of our former Marshall students. And again, I met with him one-on-one -on -one for some time before he finally came to Christ. 
and made a profession of faith. He's actually back in Vietnam now. Uh, a couple of former WV students, Kirk and uh, Win Jay. Kirk made a profession of faith. Uh, we met with him for a while. Win Jay also was coming to our meetings. Uh, went back to China unsaved, but I feel like he was close. He, he understood the gospel. I think was thinking about the gospel. Sometimes they go back unsaved, but we hope they hope yet come to Christ. We do some um, outreach basketball and soccer tournaments, uh, some sports outreaches. We do an indoor soccer tournament every year, for instance. This is at Marshall. We also do it here at WVU. We've done it for two years. And what we do is we take a break in the tournament and give out the gospel. And most of these guys would never come to our Bible studies. Typically, over half are international students. And, I mean, we have Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and everything else, you know, come to our soccer tournament. And we have an opportunity to present the gospel to them. And it's a great outreach. And this was the winning team from the first tournament at WVU. Basketball tournaments with the same idea. Uh, we used to do five-on-five five tournaments at Marshall. We started doing three-on-three three tournaments at WVU and Fairmont. But the same idea is we take a break to give the gospel. Now, this was our tournament in the spring at Fairmont State. Uh, we had eight teams participate. We had a great time with that. Uh, and here we are, again, taking a break in the tournament, able to share the gospel. We saw one guy come to Christ right at the tournament, which was a thrill. Because usually they're sort of scared or intimidated to move with all their friends around and talk to somebody. So typically it, it's more through follow-up. We always give a card and they can indicate if they want to talk later. And it's usually through that. But we actually had one guy named Zach that trusted Christ right here. And he, he came to campus site every week after that. Um, and here again we are, and there's our scorekeeper, all right, at the tournament. You see there, and uh, she was a real help with that. All right, and uh, we do some international outreaches, particularly at WVU. Now, Fairmont State, I think, has less than 100 internationals, but at WVU, there's about 1,300 from countries all over the world. And we start out every fall with what we call International Day at our church. What we do is we, play, we invite them to come. We play games. We feed them lunch. We have an introduction to the gospel where we just, without a lot of high pressure, introduce some of the things we believe, give them an opportunity to sign up for further Bible studies. We have some literature they can take in all kinds of languages. And then we have a free flea market. And everything is donated. A lot of these students come to the country with literally the, only their suitcases. And I've seen apartments where there's no beds, no for practical any furniture at all. And so we're able to meet some physical needs by providing some furniture, some household items. And uh, we're able to build a bridge to them spiritually as well. This is a couple we met at our first international day. Yassin and Sabah, they're from Iraq. And we've been able to build a relationship with them. This is their daughter and my daughter. But Jenny's actually met with Sabah for English help. She needs help with English, and she's trying to get that going again. They've been so busy, it's been hard to do that. But we're praying that they'd yet come to Christ. They're, they're Muslim, but they're not radical. They're sort of of the idea it's all the same. You know, what you believe, what we believe, it's all the same God. But we're trying to get them to see the differences. If you think of them, you can pray for them. We do a weekly English class that my wife teaches as well. And some of the international students come. Now, they typically know their English grammar better than we do. But sometimes they need help with pronunciation and comprehension. And so this is just a help with that. And again, you build a bridge by helping them physically. And maybe we can have opportunities to share the gospel. So this was a couple of our, our weeks of our English class there. I think we had maybe 12 to 15 different students attend at different times. But they typically weren't all there the same week. 
um, from several different countries. Now, this is something we used to do in Huntington. We would take spring break trips to either DC or New York City with international students. In this particular case, it was all Vietnamese. Marshall, for some reason, has more Vietnamese students than many other country. It's kind of odd, but we had these Vietnamese students that we took to DC and to New York City. All three years we took them to a church service on Wednesday night, and for most of them it's the first time they'd ever been in church. Two of the three years the pastor knew we were coming and had a good gospel message ready. And it was a great opportunity. We also gave them lots of literature, and, and again, they love to see American sites. This is the Creation Museum outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. You need to go there if you've never been there. But uh, we took a group of Americans, but we also had three Chinese and one, believe it or not, from Saudi Arabia. This is Muhammad from Saudi Arabia. He comes to our English class. He's never come to a Bible study. But he, he got the gospel at the Creation Museum. If you've never been there, the gospel is very clear. And that's just amazing that you can have someone from Saudi Arabia, of all places, and able to take them to the Creation Museum to hear the gospel. We do an annual Thanksgiving banquet where uh, we provide a traditional American Thanksgiving dinner. And we also, during that time, we'll take a break and talk about the history of the holiday, talk about the pilgrims, and use that to give out the gospel as well. And here's some of our volunteer helpers from our church in Morgantown. We actually had about 70-plus just students this last year. We, we literally were so tied in that room, I don't think we could have any, hold any more. So it was a tremendous outreach for us. This particular couple we met at our first banquet two years ago. Sonny and Carmen are their Americanized names. They're both from China. And I've been meeting with them for a Bible study ever since. And just in the last few months, they finally made a profession of faith. And so that's exciting, and we're hoping that maybe they'll get baptized soon. Uh, we do, every fall and spring typically, we go to the Wilds Christian Camp in Brevard, North Carolina for their college and career retreat. Uh, this was a previous Marshall group. This was a group from WVU. Uh, it's a great opportunity to get the students away from the world. They're challenged from the Word of God. They have a great time of fun and fellowship, and it's always a great weekend. And again, we've taken international students there before, as you see, and they always come back with a lot of questions, you know, after having gone to the wilds. It's a great weekend for them. So we try to do that. Uh, we do fellowship activities and service activities, sometimes service-related, and we often will set up a table on the campuses with tracts and literature like you see here. Um, this is the actual the pup pup place right here in Fairmont. We, we did that one time. And this is a group of students after one of those activities. This was a year-end cookout that we had. We've had a real problem getting the Fairmont State students to come to activities. We're still working on that. But the WVU students, we've had a lot of fun. This was a previous trip with Marshall students on the New River. We've done whitewater rafting and all sorts of things. But Martin Luther once said again, I am much afraid that the schools and universities will prove to be the great gates to hell unless they diligently labor to explain the Holy Scriptures and to engrave them upon the hearts of youth. I advise no one to place his child where the Scriptures do not reign paramount. Every institution where men are not unceasingly occupied with the Word of God must become corrupt. And so our college campuses are very needy mission fields. And here's our prayer card. I hope, if nothing else, you will take one of those. We have those in the back on our table. We have some other information you can look at. But I hope you will at least take uh, one of the prayer cards with you before you go. Okay, so that's all I had with that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and close this up. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 14 to 16 here in a moment.
I took some questions during the Sunday school hour, so I won't do that now, but I will encourage you, if you have any questions about Campus Life, please find my wife or myself afterwards. We'll try to answer those questions. Also, if you have students that you know of at, at Fairmont State or WVU you'd like us to look up or to call, if you can get us some information, we can try to do that. It's always better if you have a phone number or some way we can contact them because we can't always find them. Sometimes we can look up a number or an email, but not always. So we'd be glad to do that. Um, and there is, there's some information there on the table that you can take, again, about campus slide as well. So with that being said, let me draw our attention to Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. But I'm actually going to read a verse, and you don't need to turn there yourself. But before we read from Matthew 5, I'm going to read one verse from John chapter 8 and verse 12, which says, Then spake Jesus again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now Matthew 5, beginning in verse 14, we read, Ye are the light of the world. I say this on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Before we continue, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to be here uh, this morning at, at Galilean Baptist Church. I just uh, pray for Pastor Stitzel as he's away, that you'd give him traveling mercies, you'd give him a time of refreshment, you encourage him and his family. But Lord, please help me as I speak this morning. Please guide my thoughts and words. I pray that your spirit would be with us, that you'd work in hearts, and that you would just be ultimately be glorified by this service. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start the message this morning by posing a question. In John chapter 8, we read where Jesus said that He was the light of the world. Yet in Matthew chapter 5, we read where He, that he tells us that we as His followers are to be the light of the world. So my question is, how is it possible for Jesus to be the light, and at one and the same time, you and I are to be the light? Okay, now I'll try to answer that a little later. You can think about that if you want. But I want to start by focusing on the Lord Jesus as the light. My first point will be the illumination of the king. Now, he is the king. What does he mean when he says, I am the light of the world? What's he talking about? Well, I think it's probably obvious that he is using light as an illustration or as an analogy. So, to order to determine what he's talking about, I guess what we need to do is ask this question, what is the purpose or the benefit of light, the physical light? And you might immediately answer, well, it dispels darkness, and that would be true. But moving beyond the obvious, why is it important to dispel darkness? What does that do for us? Let me give you three suggestions. All right, three reasons it's important to dispel darkness. Number one, light dispels fear. I don't know how many of you had a nightlight in your room when you were growing up. My kids still have nightlights, at least in my girls' room. And the reason for that is they are afraid of the dark. I don't know how many of you have ever been on a tour of a cave, a cavern, maybe a coal mine, and the guide, when you're deep underground, turns the lights off to show you what darkness is like underground like that. Has anybody ever experienced that? Okay, several of you have. I have. And let me just say this. That is not your normal darkness. All right, you can put your hand right here in front of your face. You cannot see an outline of your fingers. You cannot see a thing. And I don't know about you, but I got a little disoriented. You don't even know what direction is what anymore. And you're real glad when that guy turns the light back on because light dispels fear. 
All right, the second thing that light does is light gives direction. I don't know if you've ever tried to make your way through your house in the middle of the night, maybe to the restroom or the kitchen, and maybe your wife's moved some furniture or something, and you just trip over something because it's hard to see where you're going in the dark. I remember several years ago, my wife and I were on a mission trip to the country of Costa Rica. Uh, we were on this small island right off the coast, and we had been in this service at a church, and we were working our way back to where the boat was. It was going to take us back to the mainland. And it was now dark. We are on this little narrow path, and the only guy with a light was the pastor. And he had lingered behind everything else, so everybody else, so he was far behind. And here we are tripping over rocks and roots and trees and each other. Uh, you know, we admit we eventually found our way back to the boat, but it's hard to see where you're going without light. And light gives direction. Third thing that light does is it displays reality. Here's what I mean. I can, I can hold an object up in my hands in a dimly lit room, and I might be able to see the vague outline but I probably can't see any details. For instance, if there's writing on that object, I probably can't see the writing. But the minute I shine a light on that object, I can see it for what it is. I can see everything that's there. It's exposed, if you will. All right, And it becomes obvious what's before me. Now the point I'd like to make is this. The Lord Jesus Christ can and should do all three of those things for us, spiritually speaking. First of all, He can dispel fear. Folks, it is indeed a fearful thing to live and face the prospects of dying without Christ. But He can take away that fear. I mean, none of us look forward to the process, but nonetheless, He can take away that fear. Secondly, He gives direction to life. Folks, there's a lot of people in this world today, especially on our college campuses, but everywhere around us, there are people looking for meaning to life and direction in life, and purpose in life, in a lot of the wrong places. And the Lord Jesus Christ Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's interesting, He didn't say, I'm one of many ways, one of many forms of truth, or one of many paths to life. He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but through Me. He is the only one that can make sense out of life. He is the only one that can truly bring meaning and direction and purpose to life. And thirdly, he can display reality. The book that I'm holding in my hand here this morning, of course, is the written Word of God. In the book of John, chapter 1, the Lord Jesus is referred to as the living Word of God. Either way, when the Word of God, written or living, comes in contact with the sinful, depraved human heart, it exposes what is there. It sheds light on the depravity and reveals exactly what is in the human heart. And that's why our Lord Jesus Christ had so many problems with those Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and all those religious leaders of His day. And the reason was this. When they compared themselves with each other and when they compared themselves with sinners, they could look pretty good. But when the Lord Jesus was in their presence, they were exposed. And it was simply too revealing. They did not like the exposure. And that's why John's Gospel it says that men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Men don't like to be in the light because it exposes their depravity, it exposes their sin. And they don't want anything to do with that. So the Lord Jesus is indeed the light of the world in all of those ways. And that's in contrast to this postmodern philosophy that we're being spoon-fed today that says that everything is relative and there is no ultimate reality. 
And our college students are exposed to that on a regular basis in their classes. And not only the postmodernism, but all the other isms. And you say, what are the isms? We're all talking about the humanism and socialism and communism and atheism and Darwinism and feminism. And we could go on and on and on with the isms. And I'm thankful for a few brothers like we have here that, you know, will present the truth on a secular college campus. But for the most part, it's all of these false teachings and false doctrines that are leading people astray. And not only do they have to compete with that, but they have to compete, as you saw on the slides, with all the temptations from the world and all the immorality and, and all these things. And the bottom line is, for our secular college students that are exposed to all this, Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20 says this, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. In other words, there's no light in any of those falseisms. It's just going to lead people astray. And so you have all these people being led astray. They cannot see the light. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 puts it this way. It says, The God of this world has blinded the eyes of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine into them. So it's almost like unsafe people are walking around in this world with blinders on, and they just can't see the light, and someone has to come along and remove the blinder. And that's where you and I come in, and that's where I want to get back now to Matthew chapter 5 and my second point. And my first point was the illumination of the king. My second will be the influence of kingdom citizens, and that's us, if we're believers. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16 is a section within the Sermon on the Mount, probably the Lord's best-known sermon that He preached. It's a section we call the similitudes. All right, the idea of we are to be similar to certain things. We are, and, and the whole focus of these four verses is the influence that we are to have on the world around us as Christians. Okay? Now let me start by trying to answer the question that I posed at the very beginning, and then we'll look at these verses. But how is it possible for Jesus to be the light source, and at the same time you and I are to be the light source? And let me illustrate it this way. This is just an illustration, but it helps me. I look at you and I as merely being reflectors, whereas the Lord Jesus is the light source. Now let me ask a very dumb question. When you're driving down the highway, and there's a reflector on the side of the road, does that thing have a battery in it? Or is it connected to an electrical power source of any time? And the answer should be obvious because by definition a reflector reflects, right? A reflector merely reflects light back into the world that shine on it. So you and I are to be reflectors of His light. He is the only light source. There's no light inherently within us, but we are to reflect His light, just like the moon reflects the light of the sun. All right? The sun is the light source, but the moon reflects it. And that's what you and I are to be. He is the light. We are to reflect that light. We're to have influence in the world. Now, let me call your attention to verse 13, because in verse 13, our Lord had talked about the same principle with a different illustration, and that's the illustration of salt. Because he said, There, you are the salt of the earth, but the salt hath lost its savor. Wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. So you have an illustration where salt has lost its saltiness and therefore it's basically useless and the only thing you can do is throw it out and trample on it. That's the illustration. Now, let me ask a question about salt. The same question I ask about light. What is its purpose? Well, today most of us would say it, it provides seasoning for our foods and that would be true. But please understand in our Lord's Day there was a far more important use for salt 
and that was it acted as a preservative. You, put, you have to understand, they didn't have refrigerators, didn't have freezers. If you wanted to preserve something, you had to salt it. And the salt would hold back the corruption, it would hold back the decay. And that's a beautiful illustration of what we are supposed to be doing in our society. It's our job as Christians to hold back corruption. You know, we look at our country today, and we look at all the problems we're having. And we look at TV, and we think, man, can it get any worse? Can it get any more immoral? We look at the movies that are out there. We, we look at politically where our country's going. And we look at the, you know, how many more states can have gay marriage. And you look at the abortion. And you look at all these things happening in our society. And you know what we as Christians do? We point our fingers at the Hollywood crowd, point our fingers at the liberal politicians, and say it's their fault and all that. But let's think logically for a second. If we were having the same influence today as Christians that our founding fathers that were Christians had, would we have this problem? And let me suggest that we would not. The bottom line is we are not having the influence that Christians once had in this nation. And so the bottom line is we're the ones at fault because we are simply not changing society in any way, shape, or form. Matter of fact, Christians for the most part are reflecting society. And that's our problem. And so our Lord says, if you want to have an impact, you've got to keep your saltiness. It, it, basically what He's saying is this, if you want to boil it down. He's saying, show me a Christian who is no different from the world. A Christian that looks like the world, talks like the world, acts like the world, watches what the world watches, listens to what the world listens to, that Christian is in essence good for nothing because they can have no impact on the lost and dying world. None whatsoever. You know, it's amazing to me, and I see this on our college campuses, there's what I call a Christian subculture. And a lot of these ministries have a philosophy, and they may not state it this way, but philosophically their idea is, we're going to reach the world by being like the world. And so they literally try to imitate everything the world has to offer. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that there is a Christian alternative to everything the world has? That's why we have Christian body piercing today. We have every mu musical genre under the face of the earth. There's a Christian alternative. We have Christian tattoos. We have, and I'm not saying people participating in this are unsaved. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that at all. But I am saying, does the Bible say you reach darkness with more darkness? All right. Or to use another illustration, going back to salt. All right. Let's say that you're like my wife. And when you go to McDonald's and order French fries, the fries that they give you are not salty enough as is, and so you've got to add more salt. Now, to me, they're plenty salty like they come. But she's got to add salt, and also, she will tell you, you can't use the salt shakers, you have to use the little packets. Alright, you can ask her why that is, but it's not the same. The salt in the little packets is superior, and you've got to use that salt on your french fries. Alright? Now, let's imagine that you want your, your fries to be more salty. Does it help to add more french fries? Even if you get it from them... Does it change the ratio of fries to salt if you just add more fries? Obviously not. If you want it to be more salty, you've got to add salt. And the principle is this. If you want to make a difference, you've got to be willing to be different. Now, by different, I don't mean weird. Alright? I don't mean you have to carry a huge Bible everywhere you go. 
I don't mean you have to be like some of these nuts that come on our college campuses and carry big crosses or carry huge signs and yell and scream at everybody that walk by telling them they're going to hell. And That doesn't help us. I'm not saying you've got to be a nut. But you do have to be willing to be different. The Bible makes it very clear we're to be holy as He is holy. We're to be set apart. We're to be distinct. We're to be different. And the bottom line is, if we're not, we'll never be able to have an influence on our society, on unsafe people around us. But let me give you an equal but opposite danger. If on the one hand, you'll never make an impact if you've lost your saltiness, on the other hand, over here, you'll never make an impact either. You can be as salty as you want, but unless you leave your salt shaker, you're still not going to have an impact. In other words, if you're not willing to make friends with unsafe people, if you're not willing to interact with unsafe people, if you're not willing to go to where unsafe people are, then you're not going to have any impact either. I mean, it's possible to become so separated that we become isolated and we never see unsafe people. Folks, you can't have any impact there either. So there's a biblical balance here somewhere where we need to be in the world but not of the world. And we need to strive for that type of balance. And I think that's what the Lord's getting at here. Now, let me move now to the analogy of light in verses 14 to 16. Back to where we started. He's going to make the very same principle using the, the illustration of light. Again, reviewing verse 14, you're the light of the world. See, the sun on a hill cannot be hit. Simply put, if you put a city on top of a hill, you're probably not trying to hide it. If you want to hide a city, you'd put it in a valley somewhere or something like that. A city on a hill is going to be readily seen. And as Christians, we want people to see our lives. It goes on in verse 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. In those days, we're probably talking about some sort of a, an oil lamp. You've probably seen pictures of these little clay vessels that they would fill with olive oil. They put a wick in it, you would light it, and that would be your lamp. Now imagine someone taking the time and effort to do that, and then proceeding to cover the whole thing with a basket so you can't see the light. Now, would anyone in their right mind do that? And why would you do that? Well, I mean, why would you waste time and energy to even light the thing if you're not going to let it shine? Of course, no one would. But here's the point. How many of us as Christians are, in essence, doing just that and not letting our light shine? I'm sure I'm not the only one here that grew up in junior church and remember the little song, all right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. You remember that? Don't let Satan, what? It out. I'm going to let it shine. All right, that's a kid's song, but there's a lot of truth in that, isn't there? We need to be letting our light shine. Because it might be, and it's been said before, that you might be the only Bible that some people around you ever see. You know, in West Virginia, I would suspect that most people still own a Bible. Not everyone, but I suspect most people in West Virginia still own a Bible. But how many people ever read it? You know? And for some people, what they think of God might be based entirely on what they see in your life. And so therefore, we need to be very, very careful and let our light shine. And what we want to happen, our goal, if you will, in this whole process is seen in verse 16. What we want to happen is to let our light show, so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Now that's interesting. Remember the idea about the reflector. All right? They see our good works. They see my good works. But do I get the glory? Or should I get the glory? 
I, I'm just a reflector, so who should get the glory? God, our Father, He should get the glory. So they see my good works, but God gets the glory for it. Because, why? Because I can't produce those good works on my own. It's only as God works in me that I can, and I, and I work with Him, that we, that's the only way I can produce the good works. He gives me the power to do it. I can't do it without Him. And so He should get the glory. Now, what does it mean to glorify your Father which is in heaven? We talk about glorifying God, and we maybe sort of know what that means. But what exactly does it mean to glorify God? The original Greek word from which our English word is translated literally means to give the right opinion of someone or something. Therefore, when you glorify God, you are giving the right opinion of His excellent, majestic, holy character to other people. You are giving the right opinion of who He is, His attributes, what He does, when you glorify Him. Let me illustrate that. Several years ago, there was a commercial uh, on TV that featured Michael Jordan. It was a Gatorade commercial. And of course, back in the day, Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player on the planet. No one could play basketball like Michael Jordan. And this particular commercial started out with a highlight clip of Michael Jordan on the basketball court. All right, doing all the things that he could do. And then there was this little ditty that said, I want to be like Mike. And I suppose the idea was if you drank enough Gatorade, you could play basketball like Mike. And kids would want to buy Gatorade because they would want to imitate Michael Jordan. Now, I would like to suggest that that commercial was literally glorifying Michael Jordan. Why do I say that? Because it gave a correct opinion or a correct idea, a legitimate idea of what he could do on the basketball court. In other words, that was not trick photography. He really could do those things with a basketball. He really could play that well. He really was that good. So that gave a correct estimate of his abilities, and therefore people would want to be like that. Now I hope you have already figured out where I'm going with this. What we want to happen is for people to see our lives... And to say, if that's what Jesus Christ is all about, if that's what Christ is like, then I want Christ. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that we never give a verbal witness. We, we've got to give out a verbal witness as well. But I will say this, if our life witness doesn't back up our verbal witness, no one's ever going to listen to our verbal witness. In other words, you can share tracts and give out the gospel all you want, but if your life doesn't back that up, and they, don't, and they see darkness rather than light, they're not going to listen to what you have to say. So we need to be letting our light shine to a lost and dying world so that hopefully they'll see Christ in us. And they'll want Christ for themselves. And that's what we want to happen. And, and whether we're talking about our college campuses or whether we're talking about your own local neighborhoods, we need to be doing that. And so I'd like to close with just this illustration. Years ago, uh, the lighthouses that are all around our nation's seashores and some lake shores, years ago those lighthouses were actually manned by living, breathing human beings. We called them lighthouse keepers. And it was their job to light the lights. Today, if the lights are used at all, they're almost always automated. In other words, they just come on automatically and there's no human that actually climbs up and turns the light on. But years ago, that was their job. And we could say this, if a lighthouse keeper were to neglect their responsibility and fail to light their light, as a result, a ship would crash, maybe lives would be lost. Could we not say that that person was responsible? And I think we could. 
Now in the same way, could we not say that you and I are not at least partially responsible if we fail to be the light that we need to be to our unsafe friends and neighbors and loved ones? Now, I realize God is sovereign. And I realize that if we fail to be the light that we need to be, God can send light from other sources. I understand that completely. God is totally sovereign and He's not dependent on me. Alright, having said that though, I am still responsible to let my light shine. And woe is me if I fail to let my light shine to those people around me that need the gospel. And I'm sure that your pastor preaches on the need that to let your light shine to, to, to preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel. But how many of us get so busy in our day-to-day -day lives and our activities that we just kind of neglect that, forget about that, and we fail to let our light shine? So let me challenge you in closing two things. Number one, I want to challenge you to pray for our campus light students and for us that we would be the lights we need to be on these campuses. You can only imagine how hard it is to live for Christ, to be a light on a secular college campus. I suppose it's a little easier again if you live at home and commute, but it's hard for all the students, particularly the ones that live on the campus. So please pray for us and pray for our students that we'd be the light that we need to be. WVU, we've got almost 50 names of freshmen that we met during student orientation, freshman orientation, that we're going to try to follow up on. If history is true, most of those will never get involved with us. But at least we have some names to follow up on. And just pray that God would bless us and, and help us with that. Secondly, let me challenge each of us here. Are you being the light you need to be right here in Fairmont or wherever it is you live? Are you being the light that you need to be in your neighborhood with your unsafe friends and loved ones? And if not, why not? And let me challenge you to recommit to that. I'm going to at this time turn the service back over to, is it Brother, Brother Josh or Brother Roger, whoever is closing, but let them close as they see fit. But I thank you again for the opportunity, and I hope you'll come back tonight. Look forward to being back tonight, but I thank you for the opportunity to be here. So... Thank you very much, brother, and what a good challenge for us to always reassure ourselves and uh, to continue on in our walk. Uh, last shall we stand as we sing our closing song, page 
Could I ask you to close in prayer? Well, we thank you.